0: Is that like a really a reminder of how emotionally draining the holidays have been? Wow. As Neil mentioned, over the next five years, five weeks, we're gonna be embarking on a sermon series entitled Emotionally Drained. I truly believe this series can be, and, and I don't wanna use this, lay, this phrase lightly because it's one of those that you hear it all the time. People throw it around like it's, it's just like it's candy. But I truly believe it could be a game changer for many of us because many of us have emotions and emotions are something that everyone in the room or those of us that are joining us online have to deal with and have to deal with on a daily basis, leading us to be an emotionally drained people. I wanna give a shout out to those that are joining us online this week in the midst of a busy holiday season. I wanna thank you guys that have come and joined us here on site. Again, just making God a priority in your life that just speaks volumes. The truth is that emotions are a God-given gift. We have all been created to be emotional beings. That's the way God intended it. That's the way he wired us. That's the way he made us. And we might need to be reminded that God doesn't make mistakes. So there's nothing wrong with having and expressing emotions. It's perfectly normal. It's perfectly natural. But just like all other gifts, good gifts that God often gives us, unfortunately, the enemy will take that and he will twist them. And he will use them against us whether it's in our own minds or it's in the minds of others, and they use it against us. They use them at times to trouble us, to dissuade us, to discourage us, and even at times paralyze us right where we are in life. Jesus told us in John 10.10, says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, and have it to the full. So if over the holidays, the last weeks, months, even years, you've said, I've had it up to here, you're either emotionally drained or you have a middle schooler, which probably goes hand in hand, (laughs) or you say, I'm just done, I'm, I'm finished, or I can't take it anymore, well, you're in the right place. Because over the next several weeks, we're gonna be into some of those common emotions that we all struggle with. Emotions that we have to deal with. And our desire is that we will dig into God's word for a clear perspective of what these emotions are that drain us and look for some plans of action that will come directly from his word that will help us deal with those emotions. And possibly, And here's my goal, and here's my hope, and here has been my prayer, is that you can find some healing in these emotions that are often so draining. Let me share a quick snapshot of of the five emotions that we're going to be dealing with here over the next five weeks. As you can tell from the bumper video tonight, we're going to be dealing with shame. I love how our lead pastor wrote the overview of this message. Uh, When he comes back from his August study break, we get a book about that thick, and it has All the sermons, all the titles, all the scriptures, all the stuff, and he gives us kind of like a little brief synopsis of what he wants us to get across if it's our week to speak. Well, this week he wrote, the embarrassment of yesterday can be paralyzing emotion for many of us. Shame has a way of robbing us from any hope of the future. However, it doesn't have to be that way. God takes great delight in our guilt and our shame, but only... If we move past it, it serves a purpose in developing a dependence on God's forgiveness and a motivation to strive for a better future. So here in just about 10 minutes, we're going to dive into dealing with shame in our life. One week, we're going to be taking a look at anxiety. And I think it would be safe to say that all of us have dealt with that to some degree over the last couple of years with the chaos and interruptions that COVID has thrown at us. Another week, we're going to look at depression. And again, I think it would be safe that all of us have dealt with this to some degree in the last couple of years. Churches not being able to meet in person. Families not being able to to get together. Kids out of school. Nah, maybe not. We're going to dive into the emotion of anger. A God-given emotion that some of us have more trouble with than others. And I'm going to leave that one right there, for those of you that know me. But I am looking forward to what Haste is going to share with us and how to help us deal with that emotion. And then we're going to wrap up this whole Emotionally Drained series with a message on grief. Another God-given emotion that all of us are going to have to deal with at some point in our life. And in all honesty, this emotion has hit our church body unbelievably, unbelievably over the last three weeks. We've had nine, at least nine, and I think maybe ten, funerals of church folks. We've had babies that were buried. We've had siblings that were buried. We've had parents that were buried Well, as we embark on a new year, I want us to try and unwrap this emotion of shame. I want us to see how God can turn our shame into a better future, a future that we may not have ever imagined or even dreamed was possible. But before we dive into that teaching, I think there's a little bit of something needs to take place. I think I need to to clarify something with you. I think I need you to, to be on the same page so you understand where I'm coming from and, and, and what I'm getting at and where I'm going. See, when I first started studying for this message over a month ago, I, I was a little bit confused, and, and I was mixing up the words guilt and shame. And, and in my mind, I was thinking they were the same thing. Well, I met with some folks that, that, that know a way well a lot more than I do. They're a way smarter than I am. And and have dealt with a lot of people who have dealt with emotions and then struggled with them. And I came to understand they're not. They are not the same thing. Let me try to explain it this way. Guilt and shame are related to each other. But they're not the same thing. Guilt is the bad feeling we get for doing something we shouldn't have done. Shame is the bad feeling of regret for being an inadequate person. If you boil it down a little bit farther. Grief is about what you did. Shame is about who you are. Guilt says I did something wrong or bad and there's need for forgiveness or correction or reconciliation. Shame says I am bad. Now earlier I mentioned how the enemy, the enemy Satan likes to take these God-given emotions and use them against us. And, and in this way, it manifests itself in a couple of different ways. Sometimes he wants us not to feel guilty when we really should feel guilty. And we should do something about it. His desires. we just ignore it like nothing ever happened. Let me give you an example. Say you treat somebody unkindly. Satan will just go, yeah, he's going to be in the back of your mind. He's like, ah, man, don't worry about that. That's not that, a big hairy deal. They deserved it they had it coming don't worry about it it's fine it'll blow over just 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 let it go just a rhetorical question anybody else ever got caught in that trap in life Satan also wants us to think that we are so bad and such failures that we will always be flawed that we will always be unworthy and never good enough to accept love and acceptance and that we are forever trapped and have no hope of our situation changing. Now here's the harsh reality. There are some of you sitting here today, there are some of you that are joining us online who are buried in shame. You're like, really John? I'm telling you, I've talked with people, I've dealt with people, I have had people look me square in the eye and they will say, John, you have absolutely no idea what I have done in my life and you have no idea of the carnage that I have left in the wake of life. There is no way that God could ever love or forgive me. I'm gonna be real bold right here. If you hear nothing else that comes out of my mouth, please hear this, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We are people of worth. If we weren't worth anything, do you really think God would have sent his son from heaven to live on this earth, to live a perfect life, and go to the cross for you and me. No. We are people of worth. Don't ever, ever let anybody tell you God cannot forgive. So, for us to truly understand, I know, and again, I'll be honest with you, I mean, I've dealt with this for 35 years. Some of you are still going, yeah, John, but, yeah, John, but. I want to share a story come comes straight out of God's Word, a story that I want you to understand. This is one of God's dudes. I mean, he was like the chosen dude for Israel. And we're going to look at the disaster that he made out of specific choices, and we're also going to look at the redemption that God brought about in his life so our story comes from 2nd Samuel chapter 11 and 12 it's the story of David and Bathsheba you know the story of David a lot of us do shepherd boy raised up faces Goliath whips Goliath anointed as King becomes King everything's going great in fact everything's going too well probably Because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, we see this little glimpse of things going too well. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So you see, part of David's trouble started because he wasn't where he should have been. The norm would have been that that David, the king, was always with his army. He wasn't on the front lines, but he was always there. He was always leading, he was always guiding. But David had decided to delegate to Joab, who was his commander in chief at that point in time, and he stayed at home. Well, the story progresses that while he was at home, he went out one evening for a stroll on top of the palace. And as he was strolling about on top of the palace, looking out over his kingdom, he happened to see a young lady taking a bath. Now, why in the world do you take a bath on the roof? I'm not real sure, but I guess that's what they did. Well, instead of David going, oh, man, ooh, hello, I shouldn't have seen that, David goes, and this is the HBV, okay, This is the hillbilly version. Hello, darling. (laughs) And he sends one of his guys. He sends one of his servants. I want you to go find out who that lady is. And I want you to see the warning signs that pop up for David. Okay? Listen to the warning signs that pop up for David when he comes back, this servant. He says, isn't this Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, bing, bing, warning, bing, bing, don't go there, bing, bing, she's hitched, dude, don't touch that. And David, instead, ignores that messenger and that servant, and he sends some more and he says, Go get her. And she comes to the palace, they sleep together. She goes home, and a while later she comes back and shares with the king, I am pregnant. And now we got a problem. You see, Uriah, her husband's at war. Uriah is where David should have been. So what are we going to do? How are we going to take care of this mess? So David sends word to Joab, again, who is his main commander. He says, Joab, I want you to take Uriah, and I want you to have him come back. I want a report. Send Uriah back to me. So if Uriah Uriah comes back, he faithfully comes to the king. He gets a report. How's Joab? How's the soldiers? How's everybody doing? How's the war going? Hey, Uriah, man, you've been so faithful. You've been so good. Why don't you go home for a couple of nights? Uriah leaves. The next morning, David finds out plan A went because Uriah slept on his porch. David moves to plan B. He takes Uriah, says, Uriah, won't you come in? Let's have a meal. He gets Uriah hammered. He says, Uriah, go home. Enjoy a night with your wife. Uriah again leaves, and again he sleeps on the king's palace porch, refusing to go, refusing to go home, refusing to enjoy. And this is what he told him, how in the world can I go home and be with my wife when the Ark of the Covenant is out there, when we are fighting for that, when all of these soldiers are out there and they are fighting for this cause? How can I go home and enjoy that when my friends and family are out there? So David goes to plan C. He writes a letter. He sends it with with Uriah back. He says, Uriah, I want you to give this letter to Joab. And this letter simply said, put him on the front line. Put Uriah on the front line and when the battle gets fierce and the fighting gets fiercest, pull back. David left the poor dude out to dry, man. Left him hanging. And Uriah died. Word comes back, Bathsheba hears her husband's dead. She goes into mourning, which what we can see is usually a period of about seven days. And it says at the end of that mourning, David brought her into the palace and made her his wife. And I want you to listen to David's callousness. See, this is the way sin works in our life. This is the way when when we just kind of disobey and we just decide, you know, yeah, I ain't going to listen to that. No, I ain't going to do that. No, God, you, no. uh, uh." Listen to David's response to Joab. He sends this note with a messenger. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Now, again, in my simple mind, I'm going, don't let this upset you. You know Joab's got to be thinking, man, wait a minute. You just set one of your best warriors up to fail. Don't let this bother me. Am I the next one? Who's who's going to be next? Well, again, we see Bathsheba coming in, and and she becomes a part of of David's family. and, and, And in reality, I think in David's mind, he's gotten away with this. And it's like, nobody's the wiser. And we get to the very end of chapter 11, and there's this one simple tag in. I want you to look at it. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. See, David had outright violated God's laws. He had coveted another man's wife. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had lied when falsely said the sword will devour one as another. And he had Uriah murdered with his battle orders to Joab. But in the midst of this chaos, David just is going along, pretending like nothing has happened are taking place until and there's always that until he had a buddy by the name of Nathan who was a prophet and I hope you have a Nathan in your life I have a few um, my buddy Aquila that stood up here and led, us, led worship for us Um, Aquila's had to be a Nathan to me (laughs) a time or two it's not fun but I appreciate a godly man that'll put his arm around me and just say hey dude I'm thankful for a godly wife that's had to play the the, the role of Nathan before just say hey dude you've got to figure this out this is not cool This is not what God desired. This is not what he had intended for you or us or our family. So I hope you have somebody in your life that has enough yeehaw that when you are really, really, I don't even mean really, if you're just messing up, that they'll speak life into you, that they'll speak truth into you. Now, Nathan did it in a really unique way because he shows up and he starts telling David this story. And he's like, David, I want to tell you a story. And and this story was about a rich man and a poor man. And this rich man, he had all these sheep, but this poor man, he only had this one little, little ewe lamb. Well, this rich man has a traveler who comes in to visit him. And rather than he taking one of the many of his flock, goes over and he takes this poor man's one ewe lamb, the only one he had. We set David up. He really did. I mean, he set him up because David got to boiling. I mean, he was fired up. He was mad. David says, that man ought to die. He's got to pay back four times. And Nathan simply looked at him and says, you, David, are that man. If there was ever a mic drop in Scripture, that was it. So here David, God's chosen man, a man who was called after God's own heart, has totally, basically obliterated his life. And now he's dealing with the consequences. And Nathan starts sharing those consequences. David, because you did this, Because of this sin, the baby that was conceived, that son that will be born, that son will die. David, because of what you have done, your house will be filled with calamity. And if you follow David's life out the rest of his life, his sons are always rising up against him. His sons are sleeping with David's wife. It is chaos. And it's all a result of what David chose to do and of the sin in his life. And the truth is, is sin has consequences. Some more, some less, but sin always has consequences. But we can't let that sin and consequences keep us from the redemption that God wants to give us. And again, it's just another tool and another trap of the enemy trying to tell you are not worthy. So I said all of that to say this. You can see that even God's chosen can absolutely, totally blow it. So you're no different. What you have done in life, where you have been, what you have experienced, what you may have put somebody else through is nothing, nothing unique, and nothing, nothing that God can't forgive. Now, seeing that, I want us to see a plan. A plan that comes out of one of David's psalms that he wrote for us is Psalm 51. Psalm 51. One of the most intimate psalms that was ever written came out of David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Now, on the outside, this plan seems really simple, and it may be too simple. But I I truly believe if we take David's example and we truly apply it to our life, and here's the the key, here's where the rubber meets the road. You can have a plan all you want, but if you don't put that plan into practice, you're not doing good. Okay, and you can put a quarter of the plan in practice, but you leave three-quarters of it out, you're probably going to get what you put in. Ooh, I sound like my mama now. You know what I mean? Okay, so here we go. Here we go. The first step we see in David's plan was he had to repent fully. Okay? He had to repent fully. David turns to God's mercy as he knew that was the only place he could find it. The truth is we don't find it in the people around us because in reality what we find there is continual judgment. Judgment. People continually condemn us for the sin and mistakes. Only God can provide the true mercy and forgiveness we need. So we've got to go to him and repent. So I want you to look in Psalm 51, verse 1, and then in verse 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, true repentance is more than just acknowledging the hurt that you've caused others. That's a part of it. But there's a way bigger part because when you get down to the root of sin, the root of sin is rebellion against God. Okay, I'm gonna give you an example. I've done this before, and I've done this standing right here on this stage. Right here, we're going this way. This is where I'm walking toward God. When I decide, "Mm, I'm gonna do my thing, I turn my back and I walk away. True repentance it's what we down south call yui. You know what I'm talking about? A yui. Okay, now a yui is from here to here. Oops. You might think you have Sunday morning. And I was in the hooch. Sorry, that's bad. Cut that out. <laughs> so we're here, disobedience. Here obedience. Now here's our problem, though. We do this, and we go here. Or we go here. Or we go here. See, we want to do it halfway. We want to do it a quarter of the way. We want to do it three-quarters of the way. True, full obedience and repentance is, I'm going away from God, and I turn around, and I walk back toward Him. So if you are dealing with shame, if you're dealing with shame in your life and it is a burden and it weighs you down and it just paralyzes you, you might want to look back and say, have you truly repented? And are you chasing after God with reckless abandon? Okay, the plan has a second step. Second step. is to confess the depths of your sin. Okay, confess the depths. The depths of your sin. David acknowledged freely the depth of his sin. Look, look in verse 3. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, David's sin was pretty public once it got out and he was reminded again as Nathan told him, dude your family's gonna be a mess. It's gonna be a calamity and he was reminded of that daily. But the truth is that there's a whole lot of sin that takes place in our lives that's what I call private sin. Sin that nobody knows about. Sin that's between you and you. And the excuse I hear it oftentimes is, well, it's not hurting anybody else. What's the big hairy deal? Well, the big hairy deal is it's separating you from God. So we have to confess, confess the depth of our sin. Here's something that I've tried to encourage folks to do for years. Um, I used to teach classes on prayer, and we would use the acrostic acts where you'd take part of your prayer, and you would, adoration was the A part, and confession was, or the C was the confession, and T was thanksgiving, and then the S was the supplication where we would ask for stuff. And I would encourage people when when they were confessing their sins, here's what we usually do, is we will usually take our sins and we'll put them like here. And we'll say, God forgive me of my sins. And we won't break a little dirt over. I encourage people, be specific. See, it's easy to just all heap them in a pile. Now, why do I ask people to be specific? Is it so that God knows? (laughs) No. He knew it before we was going to do it. Specific makes us accountable for it. God, forgive me for not being the dad that my child needed today and being too harsh on them. God, forgive me for for my anger getting out of control for the dude to cut me off in traffic and I wanted to thump thumping God forgive me for being not being the husband and the loving husband to, to show my wife the love that she needs see the difference specific makes them real specific puts them right into our face so it's just not an easy sweep and we're done and we move on and we forget and then next week we're right back in the same thing. Confess. Confess. John told us in his first letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all. All right. not just some, not just this part, not just that part, all, all of my unrighteousness. Another step is that we need to desire to be different. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think you'll get the gist of where I'm going with this thought. um, That while we might desire to be different, the cycle in our life usually doesn't change a whole lot. See, it often goes like this and it continues like this until we truly desire something different and greater. We sin, and I'm sorry. We sin, and I'm sorry. And we sin, and I'm sorry. It's kind of like when you have a little brother and you beat the tar out of him. And your mama makes you kiss and make up, and five minutes later you're wailing on him again. See, there's no change, there is no difference. We have to desire to be different, we have to desire to break that mold of what is controlling us, of where we allow sin to be a part of our lives. David asked in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Have you prayed that? Have you tried praying that? If you're struggling with something, if you ask God, create in me a pure heart, remove that from me, make me right with you, give me the strength to endure that temptation. Desire, desire to be different. And the final step we see in David's life is to receive the forgiveness and freedom offered. He wrote in verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you, which you, God, will not despise. The key word here is that we've got to receive it it's just like any gift. I mean, we all got gifts here at Christmas. I mean, some of you had gifts Is the pile was that deep and that big and that round. You didn't leave any of them unopened, did you? Nope. Tore into them like a four-year-old. But how often do we leave that gift that God has offered us? No more shame. And we leave it wrapped up. So you've got to take that plan. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. You've got to desire something different. And then when you do all those, you still, you could do all of that stuff. But if you leave that package of Jesus wrapped up, closed up, you will never understand freedom from shame would you pray with me god i thank you thank you for david oh my goodness god a man after your own heart and and then he chooses to do and be and uh, he just creates chaos in his life and the lives of so many people got the beauty out of the story is that we see you restore him We see you blessing him again. We see you having a right relationship with him. We see him ruling with you as his God again. God, my prayer is that we can just take those steps, those steps that David showed us there in that great Psalm, that we'll take that plan, And we'll work it. We'll strive. we know we're going to fail, but God, we're going to, that's our goal. And God, you can bring healing. And we thank you. It's in your son's name I pray.